More than ever, the voice of customer is shaping business strategy and business performance. Human-centric interactions, trust, business culture, speed to market, and simplicity are all critical elements of a modern customer experience. I'm Pip Marlowe, the CEO of Australia and New Zealand for Salesforce and your host today. This is the first in a series of five short podcasts where we'll speak to five industry leaders in their fields about the major challenges corporations face in today's business environment. Ensuring that we hear the voice of the client in the centre as well, that we gather insights from all sorts of places in our organisation such that we can look at them holistically and look for patterns and for trends and really understand what matters most to different client segments. We'll delve into the challenges, opportunities and their responses in the short, medium and long term with the aim of lifting the time for everyone who shares the same opportunities and challenges. Joining me at points across this journey over the coming weeks will be Australian TV personality, radio presenter and businessman Russell Halcroft, who'll delve into themes of business transformation, accelerating value, IT transformation and business growth. To kick off the series, I'm joined today by Rose Coffey, an Australian pioneer in bringing people, culture and customers together in her role at Macquarie Bank. Our podcast theme for today is customer experience, and in particular, we'll examine the connection between customer experience, employee experience, culture, and business and community success. So look, what I'd love to do, Roz, is just kick off by making sure people get to know you a little bit. So when we spoke, I said it's absolutely fascinating, the job that you have. It's not often seen that people are thinking about customer experience and our, you know, our people and our organization and culture. But you're with Macquarie Bank. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about you and, and the role you have over at Macquarie? I um I joined Macquarie and the right at the end of 2013 and um my role at that time was very much focused on people and culture and about three years ago um, we added client experience to that and the thinking behind that was um you know while we would always say and I think most companies would always say they're very very focused on the experience they deliver to clients um we we observed that 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 experience could be different depending which part of our organisation a client was dealing with. And so we needed some sort of a central role to kind of bring that consistency to the client experience. And in thinking about doing that, we thought about it as two types of change, certainly a cultural change, but also a capability change. And when we think about people and culture, they're really the two categories we think about our workplace in too. So it was very logical to us to really join the two. Um, and th- then, of course, you know, you get this wonderful virtuous cycle where when you're focused on the people and culture side, you're focused on creating positive employee experiences to help drive engagement and discretionary effort of your employees. And there's a ton of research then that shows that those highly engaged employees deliver better experiences to clients who in turn themselves become more engaged, stay more loyal and become advocates for your organisation. So we've really taken advantage of creating that virtuous cycle so that, you know, we really have that end-to-end view, creating positive experiences for employees who then create them for our clients as well. I was really curious to um, draw on something you talked about. You talked about the um, very flat organisation and the voice of people of all levels. Talk to me about how you do empower your people, the people at the front line, people talking to customers every day. How do you empower them to make decisions and to respond to that sort of ever-changing voice of customer? Some of the things we have in terms of when we declare our strategy, we talk about some of the things, you know, in terms of what we want to do. We also cover that 
couple that with how we want to do those things. And delivering exceptional client experience and delivering exceptional employee experience are two of those core things on our strategy that we say this is part of the how. So that encompasses a lot of the decision-making that, you know, people can make quickly at the coalface, if you like. Um, the other thing is that we've been very um, very rigorous in inter- ensuring that we hear the voice of the client in the centre as well, that we gather insights from all sorts of places in our organisation such that we can look at them holistically and look for patterns and for trends and really understand what matters most to different client segments. In addition to hearing things from the people who are talking directly to our clients. We'll listen to calls from our contact centre often. We receive all of our complaints data and that's escalated all the way up to our executive committee so we understand the root causes of things that cause people to be unhappy. We have insights from social media where people make comments and also through our human-centred design team where they're going out to interview clients or to observe clients doing certain activities or certain actions um, so we can design those interactions better. So. I think, you know, it's true to say that everyone in the world loves their own ideas. Um, we've had, to, we've learned to love the ideas of our clients essentially or the perspectives of our clients. So we have a number of points where when we're making decisions, the voice of the client uh, can be heard and we make sure that we have those insights in a really holistic and synthesised way. One of the things I've heard a lot from customers right now is more than ever, you know, they are thinking about trust, they are thinking about speed to market. They want simplicity. And, and I think those things have all elevated as requirements on the back of COVID. But with speed and, you know, working at greater paces and working you know, remotely, you also have to recognise we're going to make some mistakes. Things will not work like we intended them. How are you thinking of balancing this um, requirement that our customers are asking us for to go faster and help them do more, you know, more quickly and, you know, that, that balance of risk, failure and, and mistake making. Being a bank, obviously, our focus on risk, on privacy, on data security is one of the top things we focus on, actually. There are processes that we put in place in all of our practices where we will not skip a step to go faster if it puts one of those things at risk for our business and for our clients because we have people trusting us with their life savings with the biggest purchase they're ever going to make in their life. So that trust piece um, and and confidence, I suppose, in terms of uh, our business is hugely, hugely important. One of the things that we make sure to do, you know, in terms of speed, we have a fairly flat organisation structure and a very non-hierarchical culture. Um, we were only reflecting earlier this week, actually, on a very big decision around a very big release we were about to make. And the number of people in the room who were um, very, very senior and very, very junior and everyone in between to help make that decision and to help hear the perspectives of people who had a concern or who wanted to raise something to make sure we thought about it. You know, it was something at the end of the meeting we actually reflected upon how that non-hierarchical culture really helps in that management of risk. Um, we've even gone so far as to celebrate failures where there's learnings, creating that culture where actually learning is the is the outcome. We often look outside our own sector for inspiration and, and turn to other companies like Salesforce or like other tech companies to see how they do certain things. That cultural difference around the focus on risk is something I've noted and, and other people that I've spoken to in other organisations that are not 
um, that just don't have people's lives in their hands, perhaps the same way that, uh, that financial companies do. You know, sometimes they go, why can't you just do X? And it's like, here are all the things that could go wrong with X and we're just not prepared to put our organisation or our clients at, you know, at, at that level of risk. So I think the way you described it in terms of risk appetite, it is certainly something that's front and centre of our minds in terms of protecting our clients. What about innovation in your world? How's like technology changing the way you're delivering customer experiences and in driving innovation? Customers expect, you know, if they're, if they're dealing with a bank and uh, an app, they expect an experience that is as seamless and as intuitive and as personalised as if they were on their very favourite app. One of the things we've been really focused on is ensuring that we understand what that means to different customers. And what it means is we can, you know, we've taken points of view from lots of different people around when they open an app, what do they want to see? We've done lots of data on what are people going to the app for versus what are they doing online? Um, What are they calling us for? Even if we have that capability online and on um, on our website, they still continue to call. Why is that? So, because our, our goal is really to drive that digital adoption because it allows clients to self-serve where, when, and how they would like to. Uh, it removes friction for them. And that was something that out of the gates we were really focused on because we thought, you know, we want our clients to be able to be in control of their financial lives and we want that in the palm of their hands or on their screen rather than them having to take time out of what is already a very stressful and busy time to have to talk in person with somebody or go somewhere to, ex- to execute something that should be seemingly quite simple. So it's really that background that we've had, which is, you know, um, replicate the very best app experience or, or better the very best app experience they're already having and just making things easy and simple and intuitive so that customers can really feel in control. And obviously that means we can reach many more people much faster. But the main thing is, you know, from an experience perspective, that control and that feeling of confidence is with the clients themselves. I've always believed in lifelong learning. You know, we, um, you know, it doesn't, you know, when you finish school or uni, learning doesn't stop. It is the skills and the capabilities you need are going to constantly evolve. And the, and the jobs of the future, they're coming, but they don't exist. <laughs> you know, if you look on LinkedIn now, some of these job titles, you know, it's, it's just <laughs> incredible what, what's happening. So we have found a massive demand on the back of um, COVID of organisations really wanting to invest in that enablement and skilling of the people so that they can do more things digitally and remote. How are you thinking about the evolution of, you know, learning and helping your employees with learning and and building the skills so they continue to be relevant in your business and for your customers? It's, it's such an important area of focus, isn't it? And I think particularly as you think about the workforce of the future in a number of different ways, their expectations, I think, um, you know, are more around gathering experiences and having different experiences rather than, you know, changing companies so often or so forth. And I think as an employer, if you're thinking about, you know, wanting to retain the very best talent, it has to be an environment where people continue to learn and they feel they're being stretched and developed personally. So, 
we have um, we have a very big focus on learning and we're looking at it in a number of different ways. I think the traditional way is to think about formal learning and our focus in the last few years has been digitising as much of that as possible so that it's accessible, that it's scalable. People don't have to come to a classroom and sit on this day at this time. They can really access things as they you know, where and when suits them or by mobile device. So we're trying to, we're trying to replicate in the services we're offering our employees and our clients, um, the same sort of experience they might have when they're dealing with their apps in their day to day life. So, you know, people learn things now, not necessarily by reading, but by watching. So people will go to YouTube. If they don't know how to do something, they'll, they'll find a video and, and watch it on YouTube. So, we're again thinking about how do we adapt that habit, I suppose, that people have learned from, you know, in their day-to-day lives and actually just replicate that in our workplaces. Shorter, sharper chunks of information delivered in a very easily consumable way. Okay, I think it's really impressive. And I'm, I know you're quite passionate about this as well, but I think when you come out of, you know, the people side of a business, you really think about diversity and inclusion a lot, like, you know, recruiting, uh, retaining great diverse talent to help you, but also our customers are incredibly, you know, diverse as well. So it's a really great um, thing, I think, to bring those together. But how do you leverage that diversity and inclusion um, that you're seeing inside and outside and how does that come to life in your role? So we focused on creating diversity of thinking and diversity of perspective rather than thinking about demographic diversity uh, for our employees and then shifting our workplace culture accordingly. It wasn't much of a stretch really to then say we think about our clients the same way as well. So really when we think about diversity and inclusion, it's to say how do we gain the perspectives of others such that we have better ideas. We have more points of view that lead to better outcomes. Everyone has a very different perspective and that in creating experiences for people, you have to start with their perspective and what's important to them and, you know, be able to, to progress from there. It's interesting at the start you said, um, you know, your, the wellbeing of your employees um, was number one. When COVID hit, I think every company I've ever done, you know, brought anything from sent me an email saying exactly the same thing. But what you've done is really backed that up with real investment. It takes time, energy and money to actually live to a priority, putting in place, you know, real benefits, real access to tools for people to help with. And that's, you know, I think that's a standout. That's what, you know, I believe organisations should be doing regardless of COVID, but certainly more so now. Well, the other thing we've done, which is the other side of this conversation, is around the client experience of wellbeing as well. And... Again, you know, with COVID, there's been a lot of people obviously adversely impacted financially throughout this scenario as well. So that focus on our employees for wellbeing is, again, we've extended to our clients. So in one part of our business, um, they called every single one of their clients um, who are running a small to medium-sized business just to check in and just say, you know, how are you doing? What help can we give you? Do you need help thinking about restructuring anything? Do you need help? you know, in terms of pausing payments or whatever it might have, happen to be so that we can help you get through this period of time. And again, the feedback we um, we heard from clients was that that was so immensely appreciated, whether or not they needed that help, but just to know that if they did, it was there. And many clients have availed themselves of those those opportunities as well. 
tell us about what you think are the key ingredients really for transforming customers' experiences that really drive you know growth and scale and a great experience. So what's a must-have in your world? I think there, there's two things. I think I'll describe what I think the end state of a great experience is and then a uh, you know how you how you get there. So I think the end state, from a client's perspective, that the experiences are intuitive, they're consistent. So if I keep coming back, I can keep doing it. You know, it's not like well, last time this worked, now it doesn't. Um, that that come from understanding, which again comes from making sure we're asking and listening and turning those insights into tangible data that we can then use to make decisions from. So I think that's absolutely critical. Things need to be easy. And really the important one is that sort of digital end-to-end experience. So it's um, it's a piece where I can start and finish easily and simply in one place, as opposed to having come out of one experience or out of one delivery mechanism and into another channel um, to make, again, that, that experience really seamless. And I think that the thing that's really been changing a game changer for us that I know I'm sure a lot of companies also have found game changing is customer journey mapping, but mapping the journey from the perspective of the customer through understanding their journey, not just mapping the process that we think they go through in order to do something. And then under that, mapping our internal processes that we take to deliver that experience. And you can certainly see where the pain points start to align with internal handoffs with, you know, this team does A and this team does B and sometimes they don't, you know, they don't hand off to each other seamlessly and that then has an impact on the customer. So that's really, you know, the what and the how. Okay, so I know you don't have a crystal ball, but um, tell me a little bit about from a customer experience, what do you think is going to be the next horizon for um, customer experience and the role technology has in it? I think the things that are going to be continue to be top of mind for clients that regardless of the way anyone delivers a, a service is going to continue to be trust and confidence. So things like data security and privacy and so forth is going to be absolutely at the pinnacle of everything anyone develops. Um, and so, um, you know, I think that is going to have an incredibly large role to play. That um, I think that the ability to personalise experiences is going to accelerate um, and that goes from as simply as being able to design what is on your home screen when you open the page down to all sorts of other things that matter rather than, you know, we serve you up and that's, you know, this this way that the, the screen looks and that's what you get. So I think personalization will continue to be um, a really strong point of differentiation. Um, and then I just think solutions that cause friction for customers, which I said again is grounded in that deep understanding of, of the things that matter to them at different points of their life cycle. Um, the, the word I use a lot in uh, when we talk about technology is, is intuitive interactions. So whether the, um, you know, we, we have to be able to build things that don't require a, a, a manual, you know, to be able to know how to use them. And I use, you know, I use certain pieces of technology or certain apps that people would use in their day-to-day life where people literally but they don't even come with a manual because you turn them on and you just know how to use them. So I think they're going to be the critical things that drive experiences. It's that focus on risk and privacy and, um, and you know, control. It's going to be personalization and it's going to be removing friction from things that really matter 
to clients based on that really deep understanding. I think clients are just going to expect companies to know them, to know what matters to them and to deliver things that that solve the real problems that they're facing in day-to-day life. Well, let me finish with some quick questions, Roz, and I'd love to hear just your automatic response. So first of all, a good habit you developed through COVID. A good habit. I'm, I've developed plenty of bad ones, but um, a good one is getting up and walking around the neighbourhood. I've discovered so much more of my neighbourhood during this time than I had in the preceding five years I've lived here. It sounds like there's some bad ones there. So which is your bad habit? (laughs) Probably the worst one is the opposite of that, actually, which is that I really need to remind myself to get up and move around. It's just very easy because you're in one place and there's a, you know, um, big bad world out there, essentially. So it's getting up and going and, and exercising or getting out of the house and doing those sorts of things, taking breaks throughout the day because otherwise your whole day just blends into one big blur of home and work. So what about a crazy purchase since we've all been doing a lot of online shopping? I think this is crazy purchase, not just for COVID, but just for life. We've acquired four chickens during COVID. (laughs) One of my daughters is is just has loved chickens forever and has always asked if she can have some. And of course, the answer has always been that's silly. Nobody has chickens in suburbia. And then, you know, once we're home all the time, it's suddenly not such a crazy idea and why don't we get some chickens? So we're just um, offering uh, lots of eggs to the neighbours as uh, ways of, um, shall we call them, peace offerings for the various <laughs> amounts of clucking that occur. <laughs> it could be worse. You could have got a rooster to wake them up early yeah, in the morning. Yeah, no way. <laughs> uh, right. Favourite book or app? I read All the Light We Cannot See and I just found it remarkable and it's just something that's felt that stayed with me for a long time. It follows um, the stories of several people through World War II and um, it just in such a very different way than that period of time has been portrayed before that I've ever read about. My family hails from Europe and so it just, I felt, gave a really good insight into the real life of ordinary people during that extraordinary time um, and just so beautifully written as well. Well, Roz, let me finish with just a huge thank you. I feel like, you know, I entered a gold mine and I hit a vein of gold and just was able to follow (laughs) it through with so many incredible nuggets around, you know, that sense of real customer centricity, the real focus on empathy, capability, deep listening, investing for the future. Um, And we hope that our listeners are really enjoying learning from somebody who has one of the most unique jobs in the country. Thanks again. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be part of this. Thank you so much for putting this series on for all of your clients as well. I'd like to thank again Roz Coffey for sharing her fascinating experience and particularly your experience as the Head of People, Culture and Client Experience at Macquarie Bank. There's certainly been a lot in today's discussion that we can all learn from. And for everyone listening, please visit our website dedicated to this customer experience discussion at sfdc.co forward slash customer dash experience, where you'll also find an extended interview with Roz for more great insights. We'd also love to hear your thoughts and feedback on everything you've heard today. So please take some time to share. Email us at abmpodcast at salesforce.com. We really hope you'll join us for our next podcast episode to discover more about the future of business now brought to you by Salesforce. My name is Pip Marlowe and I look forward to your company again soon.